this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. So glad to be here. I love, I love coming to Connection Church. Um, you guys this summer are studying different psalms from the Bible. What a great way to spend the summer to be learning these ancient songs. One of the things that I love about the psalms is not only were these powerfully meaningful to the first people who wrote these songs and sang these songs. But it just kind of blows my mind to think that for centuries, every generation of men and women of faith have looked at these psalms. And for each, like for so many different people, these words have become powerful expressions of prayer and powerful promises of God's goodness and, and songs that congregations have sung together. It's just kind of this rich history of, of God meeting people in these ancient songs. So today we're looking at Psalm 130, and I'd like to just read it for us. Um, Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Let's, uh, let's pray together and invite God to speak to us. Father, we're so grateful for your word, and we believe that when your word is proclaimed, your voice is heard, and that's what we ask for tonight. We pray that we would hear you, each one of us, speak to us for your glory and for our good. Amen. I want to just break this psalm down like this tonight. I'd like, I'd like to make three observations about it. So first, I'd like us to observe where the psalmist is when he writes this song. I don't mean where he is geographically, but where he is emotionally, what kind of situation the psalmist is in. So first, where the psalmist is when he writes this. And then secondly, I want us to observe what the psalmist does in this situation how this songwriter responds to what's going on in his life. And then thirdly, I want to talk about why he knew he could do that. So where he is, what he does, and why. So where is the psalmist? Well, he, te- he tells us in verse 1, he says he's in, he calls it the depths. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And <clears throat> the word 
the Hebrew word that's translated depths here was a word that it, sometimes in the Bible it meant literally it would mean the deepest part of the ocean or the deepest part of the sea, but it was often used metaphorically like it is here. So sometimes it might mean um, deep, deep sorrow in a person's life or, or a deep pain that they're going through or a deep sense of loneliness or, 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 dis- or despair. In this particular psalm, however, the word is used to describe a deep, deep feeling of guilt, deep feelings of shame. I say say that because you'll notice the psalmist, he talks about his need for mercy in verse 2 and and the need for forgiveness in verse 4 and the need for redemption in verse 7. You kind of see the theme, right? And he talks talks about iniquities twice, both in verse 3 and in verse 8. And he he talks about the concern of having to stand before the God of judgment again in verse 3. So this kind of repetitive theme throughout, it's clear that um, what's on his mind and what he's thinking about is his guilt in the eyes of a holy God. Just has an awareness of, of things that he has done that are wrong. Or perhaps he's aware of the right kind of things that he has failed to do. It's just a, a, a sense that he has fallen short, he doesn't measure up, he's, he's failed his God, he deserves his anger. So where is the psalmist? Well, he's in this deep place of guilt and shame and sin. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that a, a lot of people in the Bible um, spent time in that place. I mean, people we think of as heroes of the faith, right? People we look up to, might even name our children after some of them, right? Um, most of them went through those moments of, of just feeling so distant from God because of their moral failure. For, for example, Moses, uh, he, he was in that, the depths of guilt, um, when his, his anger caused him to dishonor God through speaking rash words and violent behavior. King David, he spent some time in that place when his lust led him into the arms of another man's wife. The apostle Peter, he remember his story, he spent time in just deep remorse over, over his failure when his cowardice led him to betray the Lord Jesus, deny that he knew the Lord. So a lot of people in Scripture, people that we would look up to, they they spent time in these same depths, the same place from which the psalmist writes this song. They, they, they've, they've been through that, that deep place of feeling like they have utterly failed the God that they worship. And, and so I wonder, have you ever been in that kind of place? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand and share your secrets, but I mean, have you, just think about it. Have you ever been in that spot where you just feel, ah, oh, I feel so ashamed. I feel so remorseful. I don't know if this can ever be made right again. I just I feel crushed by this. Now, I, I ask that not to kind of condemn you because I would, listen, I would be surprised if you've never been there. In fact, let me be honest. I would be a little bit worried about you if, if, you've, never, if you've never felt some remorse over moral failure in your life. And here's why I say that. Because the Bible tells us that we have all no exceptions. We've all sinned against God. I mean, we've all, we've all broken promises that we made. Promises to God, promises to others. We've all told lies. We have all behaved selfishly. We've all gossiped about others. We, we, we've all, listen, we've all hurt people who love us, haven't we? Man, that's like a... 
a dagger through the heart knowing that we've done that. We've, we've all harbored resentment and anger in an unrighteous way. So we've all done this. And this is why, this is why the Apostle Paul, he didn't even hesitate to write this. In, in Romans chapter 3, Paul said this, all, all alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. So, first observation, where is the psalmist when he writes this song? He's, you know where he is? Same place we've all been. Same place I've been, same place you are. It, maybe he's writing this from the same place you are tonight. I mean, maybe you came here tonight thinking, I don't know if I want to go to church because I feel so bad about whatever. I feel so far from God. That's the place he's writing from, this depth of brokenness over his own moral failure. Now, second observation. What, what does the psalmist do um, in this situation? You, do, you, do you remember what, do you know the story? you remember what Adam did when he sinned against God? How many of you read the story of Adam and Eve? Most people know that. So God put them in paradise, and there was, they basically could do whatever they want, but there's one rule, don't eat from the tree in the center of the garden. And you know how they, um, they rebelled against God, they rejected his word, they disobeyed him, they, they sinned against him. And what did Adam do the moment he became aware of his guilt? Well, he tried to hide right? It says that he hid in the trees of the garden. He tried to cover up with the, the fig leaf. He, try, he tried to hide from God. And um, there are a lot of ways that people do that today. I've done this. I mean, a lot, most of us have done this. Um, we know that we've done wrong, and so we try to hide, for example, by making excuses. Yeah, I, I blew up at my family, but I had a rough day, right? Or making excuses, or maybe by making comparisons, Oh, you think, I'm bad. I'm really not that bad. You should see my cousin. My cousin is a lot worse than I am. Or making excuses, making comparisons, or, or sometimes we just by blaming others. You, you, you don't know what my father, you don't know how, the way my father raised me. It's his fault. He's the, he's the reason I'm so messed up. So these are different ways that we, our fig leaves, maybe you'd say, ways that we try to hide. So what does the author of Psalm 130 do? He knows he's in the depths. He knows he's far from God. Does he try to hide? No, look at this. He cries out to God for mercy. He just asks for mercy. Verse 1 and 2, he says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. You know, um, sometimes in a criminal trial, um, after the defendant has been found guilty by a, a jury of his or her peers, sometimes um, before the judge pronounces the sentence, the judicial sentence, the defendant will be given one final opportunity to address the court. And sometimes, you know, the defendant is just completely unrepentant. He'll stare in the face of the judge, cold, steely eyes, a, a look on his face like, I don't care what you say, I am not repenting, right? At other times, you, you'll read of defendants that are just broken and soft and tender, and they say, I am so 
sorry for what I've done. I take full responsibility. They might even turn around and, and, and address the, the, the family of the victim and just say, I, I could never make up for what I've done. I am so sorry. And then, and then they just kind of appeal to the court for mercy. That's kind of what this psalmist is doing with God. He's saying, Lord, let your ears be attentive to, to my voice, my cry for mercy. I don't, I don't, I, I don't have any excuses. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to blame anyone else. I, I can't, listen, I'm not going to compare myself to other people to somehow try to make myself look good. I just am crying out for mercy. You know what, um, what theologians would call what the psalmist is doing in this psalm? simple concept. They would call it repentance. It's repentance. Now, that's not a word that you hear often in, in, in public dialogue. I mean, I, you, might go to, you, might, you might go to work every week for months and never hear anyone say the word repentance. It's not the kind of thing that we talk about, right? Um, so, let, let's say a friend of yours were to ask you, hey, what, what, is, what is repentance? look like? Have you ever repented? What does that mean to repent? Describe it to me. I wonder what you would say. you You know what Jesus said repentance looks like? His answer was to tell a story. He said, imagine, imagine there's a, um, a kid who takes his parents' money and he runs away from home. And then he just wastes all of his parents' life savings. He wasted on wild living and partying and drugs and all kinds of stuff. And then when the money runs out, all his friends leave, and he hits bottom. And he wakes up one day and he says, I just wish I could go home again. I just wish I could go home. And so he gets up, he turns around, and he walks back. Jesus said, that's what repentance looks like. It's when you just, you come to your senses, you get up, you turn around, you say, I'm going home. I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do. Slam the door in my face, throw a party. I don't know. I just, I need to go back to the Father's house again. That's what Jesus said repentance looks like. And, and so, um, that's kind of like what the psalmist is doing here, and that's what he would tell us to do. He's, he was so happy about it, he sang a song about it. I think if the psalmist, we don't know who wrote Psalm 130, but whoever it was, this person would say, listen, I don't care how far you've strayed, I don't care how distant you feel from God, just go back home. Just go back. So where is he? He's in the depths of sorrow over his own moral failure. What does he do? He repents. Now, why did he know he could do this? Why was he so confident, certain? I mean, how did, how did, how did he know he wouldn't be condemned by God? How did he know God wouldn't, you know, this bolt of lightning strike him down? How did he, how did he know God would be merciful and forgiving? Um, uh, Hemingway wrote a, a short story called the capital of the world. And in, in this story, he, he recounts a tale from, from Spain. There was a young man, apparently, who grew up in the countryside of Spain, still lived with his parents, and one day he just had a vicious, vicious fight with his father. The young man's name was Paco, and he and his father really went at it. They said all kinds of just 
kinds of words that are going to hurt for the rest of your life. And then Paco stormed out of the house and ran away and moved to the city of Madrid. Days went by, weeks went by, months went by. His father never heard from his son, and he began to miss him. So the father left their little town in the countryside, travels to Madrid, and he looks everywhere to try to find Paco. He can't find him. So the father, as a last resort, he goes to the newspaper, the biggest newspaper in the city of Madrid. He takes out a personal ad, and the ad ad says, Paco, I love you. All is forgiven. Please come home. I will be waiting 10.30 Wednesday morning in front of the newspaper office. Your papa. Well, in the story, Wednesday morning, 10.30, the father goes to the 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 street corner in front of the newspaper office and in the story there's like 500 young men standing there and they're all named Paco and they're all just wishing that their father would forgive them they could come home again no this is not something that we often talk about in in in, you know in, in our social circles but a lot of people have that hunger I just I wish I could come back home to the Father. I wish I could be forgiven. And, and, and the psalmist, isn't it something? He seems to have this incredible confidence. I will be received. I will be welcomed. I will. How, so how does he know that he can cry out to God for mercy and he'll receive it? Well, it seems that he understands something about God that he says never, ever, ever changes. He understands the merciful nature of our God. Here's what he says, verse 3 and 4. He says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. One translation says, If you should keep a record of sins. O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now, feared there doesn't mean we're supposed to be afraid of God. He hates us. He's going to ruin us. No, it, it means to reverently serve the Lord. He says, Lord, I know, I know that I will find forgiveness with you so that I can be, again, one of those who reverently serves you and walks with you. So he understands the merciful nature of our God. In fact, he says in verse 5 to 6, he says that he, he says he is waiting for mercy from God the same way that watchmen, night watchmen, wait for the morning. So, how do night watchmen wait for the morning? Do they, uh, do they wait for the sunrise as something that might happen? You know, they, they clock in the, the, the third shift. They clock in at 11. They get off at 7. They say, man, I sure hope the sun rises tomorrow. I hate when it doesn't rise. No, they, they, they don't wait for the morning as something that they hope will happen. They don't, they don't know if it will happen. They wait for the morning as something that they know is a sure thing. It will happen. It will happen. You know, on my, uh, on my phone, I have one of these weather apps. You have a weather app? They're very helpful, right? But they're, um, they're not very precise. So, for example, my, my, my app might tell me that tomorrow, I'm not looking at it, but it might tell me, let's say the weather, the temperature is going to be between 75 and 91. Somewhere in there, like somewhere in there, can you be a little bit more precise app? 
my app says, no, I can't be more precise than that. And and then the the app says, oh yeah, there's a 30% chance of rain. And I I always wonder what does that mean? Does that mean that there's a 100% chance that there will be a 30% drizzle or a 30% chance that there will be a 100% downpour? I mean, I don't even know what that means. And so I say to my app, Mr. App, can you please be more precise? And the app says, no, sorry, I cannot be any more precise than that. And then the app says, oh yeah, by the way, there's a chance of late afternoon thunderstorms. And I say, can you define late afternoon for me? What does that mean? And what kind of thunderstorm? And the app says, no, I'm sorry, I can't be any more precise than that. And then while I'm looking at the app, it says, oh yeah, and by the way, sunrise will be at 5.57 tomorrow morning. 5.57, you mean around 5.57? And the app says, no, 5.57. Isn't that crazy? The only, the only thing that's precise, the only thing they know for certain is exactly when the sun will rise. You can set your watch by it. Why? Because it is, it's that reliable. And here's what the psalmist is saying. He is saying forgiveness and mercy from God is as reliable as that. He says it's even more reliable. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He says, I have no doubt about it. I've, I've fallen into the depths. I feel so broken over what I've done. My failure just makes me feel deep, deep pain inside. But I know this. I cry out to the Lord for mercy. It will be there. I know the psalmist would say, I have more confidence in the mercy of God than I have confidence that the sun will rise tomorrow morning. And so he closes in verse 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord, notice the word, there is steadfast love. And with him, there is plentiful redemption. And verse 8 He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Not he might redeem, not he's going to do his best. He's going to try and see if he can redeem us. No, 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 no. He doesn't say that. He says he will do it. Our God will do it. Our God will do it. We return to him no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've strayed. Listen, no matter how long it's been, we cry out for mercy. Like the rising of the sun, mercy will be there. Now, A question that's not answered in this psalm is how in the world does the psalmist know? How does he know that God will be that merciful? It doesn't say. It could be that um, whoever the psalmist was, it could be that he's heard stories of God's mercy in, in in the past, in the lives of his people, how God forgave Abraham and forgave Moses and forgave David. He just knows, yeah, I I see this track record with God. It could be that. It could be that he's heard the promises of the covenant, you know, that were taught to to him or her as a, as a little boy. This is, this is the way our God is. He promises forgiveness. So it could be that he knows these things. But somehow he knows it. Now guys, listen to me. I'll close with this. If this songwriter who lived hundreds of years before Jesus could be that certain that God would forgive, man, what about us? I mean, we, we know, we, listen, we know something about God that in his wildest dreams, this songwriter would, he would have been doing backflips if he knew what we know. What do we know about God's mercy? I'll tell you what we know. God is so committed to forgiving and restoring repentant sinners, so committed to doing that, 
God himself in the person of his son came and lived in this world, right? Lived the kind of life that we should have lived and then willingly died the kind of death that we deserve to die so that if anyone, and if anyone trusts in him, you know what God says? You're forgiven. Clean and clear. Arms open wide door thrown open. God says, welcome home. Welcome home. So I'd I'd like us to pray. And if you would, if you don't mind, bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me. I want to have a moment of silence before I voice a prayer for us because it may be that that someone here, there's some things that you feel prompted to say to God. Maybe for the very first time in your life, you're asking God to forgive you, asking Jesus to be your Savior. He will not turn you away if you ask. Or maybe you've known Jesus for years, and, and yet you just you really haven't been honoring him in certain ways lately. You, you want to you leave here tonight knowing, I've been forgiven, I am restored, it's all new. If you ask him for that, he will do that tonight. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, none of us could stand before you. But with you, in the person of Jesus, there is forgiveness. Therefore, we fear you, we love you, we rejoice in you, we, we want to follow you, and we, and we ask you that t- today, for all of us, you would just be showering us in mercy, restoring within us the joy of your salvation rekindling a great sense of hope and acceptance from you. Do that for every person here tonight. This is is what you promise. This is what you long to give us. And so we receive it, and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.